0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Beena 007's weekly movie roundup, focusing on movies that are just being released in the UK and Ireland this weekend. As usual, it's an absolutely packed release schedule, and of the films I haven't yet seen, perhaps the one that might get the most awards notice, is a film called Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, based on the true story of a famous actress, Gloria Graham, who goes to Liverpool and has an affair with a much younger man, starring Jamie Bell and Annette Benning, and Vanessa Redgrave, Julie Walters, fantastic cast. It actually played at the London Film Festival, and I didn't get a chance to see it, but it looks great. It has a running time of 106 minutes and is rated 15, and I'll definitely be getting to see that one. Of the other films that look inter- interesting, there's a small indie drama called Ingrid Goes West, rated 15. That stars Aubrey Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, Just looks like a really interesting US comedy that I think might have something about it. And then, of course, there is the big franchise comic book movie out this weekend justice league um, which is the big batman superman wonder woman dc mashup film that is out on friday i'll be seeing it next monday so i'll be reviewing it in the following week's show but i have to say um, after recent very boring dull trips to see suicide squad and batman versus superman i'm not really holding out much hope So what are the movies we're going to be talking about this week, having done the ones we are not covering? I am going to talk to you about Good Time, which is a thriller drama starring Robert Pattinson of the Twilight movie fame, which is a 15 rated thriller. I'm also going to be talking to you about a movie that I liked somewhat less, but has earnest good intentions called Mudbound, which I think is a... A really fascinating film that's out, rated um, 15. And then I'm also going to talk about two films that have been out for a couple of weeks but are still doing excellent work at the box office and that I know a lot of you will still perhaps want to catch at the cinema. The first is Murder on the Orient Express, the new Kenneth Branagh film that I really loved. And the latter is Paddington 2. And for that, I'll be helped out by a younger podcast host who can give you his particular twist on things. So let's get going. Here's the trailer for Good Time. So I told you about my brother, yeah? Something
1: happened. I don't know exactly what. He's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. Oh
0: my God, that's awful. Make me clean. Just gotta get him out of there before something bad happens. He could get killed in there. Another ten grand. You get another ten grand, your brother will get out. The truth is an act of love. I think something very important is happening and it's deeply connected to my purpose. Every
1: day I think about untwisting and untangling
0: these strings I'm in. I lead a pure life. I look ahead in a clear sky
1: ain't going to get there.
0: But it's a nice dream. It's a nice dream. Okay, so that was a clip from Good Time, which is a nervous, edgy, wannabe, raw, indie-looking crime caper thriller movie starring Robert Pattinson from the Twilight movies. And I have to say, I love how Robert Pattinson and his co-star, Kristen Stewart, have made such an attempt to break out from genre franchise films and do things that are really edgy and push themselves. All I can say about Good Time is that Robert Pattinson is by far the best thing in it, but it's not a good film. It's directed by Benny and Josh Safdie, who are two brothers who grew up in Queens, New York, and they make these films that are very... um, low-budget independent films typically set where they grew up and informed by a very rough childhood that they experienced. And Good Time is the story of two brothers, just to say it, two brothers. So the elder one is Connie. Um, Constantine played by Robert Pattinson and the younger one is called Nick played by Benny Safdie one of the directors and the idea is that Connie's the one who has to make the decisions he's got to propel them forward because Benny's quite mentally disabled and as the film opens you see him in this really unaffected probably borderline exploitative sort of mental health care program that's really unpleasant to see So you have to admire Connie for really taking him out of that and trying to propel them forward. The problem is is that the way in which he's going to do this is by performing a quite ineffectual bank heist. Um, It goes wrong. Nick gets caught, put into a hospital because he's severely beaten up. And Connie's big mission then is to get him out of that hospital and get him out of jail because... He knows that his brother's gonna get hugely bullied and picked on if he if he ends up there. So to try and do this, he enlists his girlfriend, Corrie, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, interestingly, in a small role, to try and bail him out. They can't kind of get the money together, so then Connie's forced to sort of try and break him out of the hospital. He ends up getting the wrong guy, and it just basically it's just a caper movie that takes place over one desperate night, in which we see Connie make decisions that have earnest good intentions behind them usually mess them up and enlist in a quite manipulative way the help of other people including a young teenager called crystal played by talia webster who i think's quite impressive and a small-time drug taker slash pusher what's interesting is is that you're meant to root for connie evidently because he's the protagonist so that's what the law dictates but um I just found it really hard to get into the film, and I really wanted to like it because I like the mission of making something edgy and where you're using heightened, sort of lurid colors and really showing the gritty underbelly of Manhattan. It kind of, um, of New York, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that amazing HBO drama, The Night of, which again was trying to do that same thing, which is show. New York at night and the people on the margins and the people struggling who the justice system is failing. So I love all of that and I loved this kind of 80s synth soundtrack. Um, Daniel Lopatin who composed it definitely is channeling some kind of stranger things 80s synth vibe there. But the performances um, apart from Robert Pattinson aren't really good enough and frankly the characterization is just off-putting. I find it very hard to root for someone who's just that stupid. I mean, every single decision, every single outcome is rooted in stupidity. And maybe it's a personal flaw. But after a while, I'm just like, you guys are just incompetent and you deserve what you get. And I just don't care anymore. But I have to say that in fairness, my opinion is unusual. It has gotten a lot of really good buzz. And I think the soundtrack might have won an award at the Cannes Film Festival this year. I'm not alone in my reaction, but it's by no means the typical one. So you might want to give it a go anyway. If you do, it's got a running time of 102 minutes. It's rated 15 and it's out in the UK this weekend. Okay, on to the next film.
1: My nightmare is always the same. I scream, but it's nothing coming out. This place, this law, we don't belong to them. And I think of the farm, I think of mud, and crust knees and hair.
0: Our family's in trouble. You understand that, do you? What's the worst thing you ever did?
1: You betray your own blood. You can't even see your own wife is miserable. Silence, oppression, fear.
0: It would take an extraordinary man to beat all that. Amen. Okay, so that was the trailer for Mudbound, which is a film that I saw at the London Film Festival with really high expectations. It's directed by Dee Rees, whose TV film about Bessie Smith I really admired. And I think it just tells a very important and relevant story based on the novel by Hilary Jordan, but adapted for the screen by Dee Rees and Virgil Williams. And essentially, it's a film about economic um, struggle and racial tension. And I think in a sort of post-global financial crisis world and, and the heightened racial tensions we now live with, this would be really a fascinating exploration of those topics and it enters the story by contrasting two families who live on a very struggling mudbound hence the title uh, farm and the first are the owners they're a white family naturally and the part of familiars is henry mccallan played by jason clark uh, most famous for zero dark 30 a really great fine character actor and he is uh, your typical sort of macho part of Familius. He takes the decision to leave his very successful uh, job and buy into this farm, much to the surprise of his rather soft, rather protected, delicate wife, Laura, who's played by Carrie Mulligan, um, most famously recently, I think, for Far From the Madding Crowd. And she doesn't really understand the decision, but she's one of those wives from that post-World War II Mississippi era who's going to follow her husband. And joining them is the brother-in-law, Jamie McAllen, played by Garrett Hedlund, uh, the headliner in Tron Legacy. And he's come back from World War II, so we're meant to believe that he has a wider perspective on life and is maybe less subject to the prejudices of Mississippi in that era as really espoused by the pappy who's paid by Jonathan Banks in a really quite menacing performance of racial hatred. So they're incredibly tense husband and wife not getting on because she can't believe he's dragged her to this back of beyond disgusting place. Obviously you know this is being a little bit cliche she's going to find an attraction for the brother-in-law amidst all this deprivation and pain. Of course as downtrodden as economically deprived as struggling as the white family the are. They will always be a cut above their tenant farmers, uh, who are the black family, the Jacksons, by virtue both of their economic position, but also by virtue of the protections which their race gives them, given the social mores and indeed the laws of Mississippi at the time. So that family is very hardworking, very earnest, but fundamentally held back they comprise Mary J. Blige, interesting casting, as the mother Florence, Jason Mitchell is the son Ronsell, and we have Rob Morgan playing the father Hap Jackson. And really, we just see them suffer economic blows that really put their lives on the line. And yet, as a family, they're far more unis- unified than the, than the white family. So the real sort of Narrative propulsion of this plot is that a friendship is formed between the brother-in-law of the white family and the son in the black family because they've both come back from World War II. We realise through flashback that they've experienced things that caused them to bond, and also that the the young black boy had had an interracial relationship in which he was very much treated as an equal. So that was hugely eye-opening for him, and it's it's the fact that society will not let this friendship stand that they have to hide they really have to live in fear of their lives that is where we get the dramatic tension in this film which is shocking because when you think about it this isn't that long ago I mean this is in our parents and grandparents lifetimes and so this really should have been a very moving and very thought-provoking film Unfortunately, what we are given in Mudbound is a profoundly cliched and deathly slow-paced film. The, the the white people, the men, the you know, the man who owns the farmer's father are just cliched caricatured racists. There's no attempt to soften their characters whatsoever conversely, the black family are just earnest and good and always sort of suffering and martyrs. The person I watched the film once said that Mary J. Blige was effectively in the quote-unquote Oprah Winfrey role, which I think is true. I mean, she, I think she's a fine actress, but she, there's no nuance to the characterization here whatsoever. You know who the bad guys are. You know who the good guys are. And actually, that goes not just for the families, but the countries. So you have the USA post-World War II cast via Mississippi as a place of deep racial oppression. And I'm no, I've i no doubt that it was. But what's kind of laughable is seeing it um, contrasted with what's meant to have been a far more racially tolerant Europe at this same time. Now, I've no doubt that legally it was far better and probably socially far easier to be a person of colour in Europe in the 1940s and 50s than it was in Mississippi. But the idea that it was this place of a very sort of anachronistic postmodern enlightenment about racial uh, issues, I think it's just laughable and actually undermines the credibility of this film. I think there's also problems with the way in which the film is made. I mean, there's a sort of like faux wannabe Malickian, um, Terrence Malick sort of, you know, deeply moving voiceovers, which are very irritating and very obvious in the emotional depths they're trying to plumb. There's also a sense in which... Um, I think the director's going for maybe a sort of quasi-religious uplifting, suffer through this and you will get reward sort of attitude. But there is something quite ironic about every time something really bad happens, it's usually either in a church or set to a hymn. So I don't know if that's intentional, but I think it's quite funny um, how it's turned out. But really the thing that undermines this film is just that it's so, so paced so it's hard to get into you find yourself losing patience with it because there isn't the nuance the sophistication the challenge to the audience of navigating more interesting and intricate characterizations that warrants this well over 2 hour runtime so i really cannot recommend mudbound as much as i like the cast and the director and as much as i appreciate the project of putting our racial divisions and history on screen. Sadly, this is not the movie for me. However, if you want to check it out, it has a running time of 134 minutes, it's rated 15 and it's on release this weekend in the UK and Ireland. Okay, so with that, on to a couple of movies that are already on release, the first being Murder on the Orient Express. And here's a little clip from the trailer.
1: I see evil on this train. A passenger has died. So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not. Well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered.
0: Good God. Murder here? God rest his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me.
1: If there was a murder...
0: What is going on?
1: Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us. And every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I am probably the greatest detective in the world.
0: Okay, so I really, really loved Kenneth Branagh's new adaptation of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. I love her Hercule Poirot murder mysteries. I think this is one of the most clever and most fascinating. And I love those sumptuous, luxurious adaptations that we get every so now and then. I grew up with the 1974 Sydney Lumet version, which starred Albert Finney as... Hercule Poirot and amongst other people Lauren Bacall, a truly beautiful cast but I also really like their recent 2010 uh, David Suchet Poirot version which was very beautifully made even though it was for TV and has a young Jessica Chastain in it, Toby Jones Hugh Bonneville from Paddington 2 we're going to discuss soon and again was just a very beautiful and sumptuous drama so you could ask why we need another one, I don't care I will always watch a beautiful Agatha Christie adaptation And what I can say is that this particular one, it's luxurious, it's filmed beautifully, it just looks gorgeous. It has everything you want. It's very faithful to the book. Every single small tiny part is cast with a star. But what I do love is that Kenneth Branagh has tried to give it an energy, a dynamism, and has made subtle changes that I think really enhance the film. So for those of you who don't know the plot, and I have to admit I watched this with someone who'd never seen it before and didn't know who did, who'd did done it, which I think is just amazing in this day and age. This is a locked room mystery. It's set on a luxurious trans-European steam train in the 1930s. So the train sets out from Istanbul on its way to Paris, um, but it's caught in a snowdrift and halted overnight. And as the passengers in the first class compartment are waiting for the people to come and dig them out of the snow and set them on their route again. They realise that one of the passengers has been murdered in in their cabin. And so, Hercule who happens to be aboard and is a world-famous detective, is asked to try and solve the murder. And of course, the tension arises from the fact that the first-class passengers know that one of them is responsible for the murder. And there's all sorts of red herrings. There's a, a woman running through the carriage in a red kimono. There's apparently a second railway guard somewhere with a missing button on his fake costume. There are charred blackmail notes. Um, the body has been f- stabbed in, in a mad frenzy with, with many, many wounds. And Poirot really has to work through the night to figure out what happened so that when they reach the next station and the police come, he can present them with the results of his deductions. And what I love about it is it's not just a clever mystery, but it asks some fairly profound questions about the nature of justice. So what can we say about this version? Oh, it's sumptuous. I think it's filmed on the recreation, the sort of the new version of the Orient Express. Everyone has beautiful costumes and hair and the period design is stunning. It stars the director, Kenneth Branagh, as Ocul Poirot with a really quite magnificent and absurd beard. Sorry, moustache. Giant moustache, actually. Um, you've got Johnny Depp on board as a nasty man called Ratchet. Dame Judi Dench as the Princess Dragomirov. Um, Daisy Ridley, who stars in the, the new Star Wars movies, is there as a young governess. You've got Penelope Cruz as a religious nut. Josh Gad from Frozen, actually in a serious role, which is kind of interesting. And many, many others. Everybody's a star. Um, The two actors who really stood out from the ensemble for me were Willem Dafoe, who I also loved in The Florida Project. My goodness, he's having such a good year. And also Michelle Pfeiffer, who really, I think, is tremendous in this. I can't tell you why, though, because if I were to do so, I'd be ruining character reveals and plot twists. So what I will talk about is what I love about this film in terms of the way it's put together. What I really love about this film is that Kenneth Branagh tries his best to to break free of the claustrophobic train carriage setting in which most of the book is set and inject where possible a little bit of action to events but without forcing it so it doesn't look sort of like um, fake and thrown in for no real reason. I think I really also admire him for injecting some colour into the First Class Passengers, by which I mean that he's recreated one of the characters, Colonel Arbuthnot as a black doctor, played by Lamar Odom Jr., who I wasn't familiar with, but gives a very good performance. But rather than just make this a sort of very superficial imposition of something anachronistic, um, like in in other words, he doesn't just pretend that no one's going to comment that there's a black doctor on the train at that time when it was so rare. It's clear that the writers of this film have done a lot of research into how a black man in England might have become qualified and the kind of prejudice he might receive and that goes into the film so I think it's it's exploring racism in a very organic way to the plot and it actually it enhances the character motivations and actions so I really give kudos to the writer Michael Green who I believe also wrote Blade Runner 2049 for working this issue in so successfully but also so so delicately and elegantly like it doesn't feel like it derails to exclude Uh, to excuse the pun, the plot. The other thing that Michael Green has done is written an off-book prologue, which is set in Jerusalem. And I think that's really essential, because there's a whole generation of, of viewers of this film who won't have read the Achille Poirot books. After all, they were written something like 90 years ago. And it's a very quick and deft way of showing, really, the bona fides of Poirot. Why should we believe this guy is going to solve the mystery? It shows him as being very obsessive, very internationally respected, but also rigid in his belief in the stark difference between right and wrong. And of course, that's going to come into play as we move through the movie. It also, of course, provides the director, Kenneth Branagh, and his director of photography, Harris Zambalukos, the ability to give these beautiful shots of Jerusalem. And then obviously on across the water to Istanbul. That really makes the most of the 70mm format in which they have shot this film. Now, we didn't watch it in 17 mil. we watched it in a normal screen, and it just looks sumptuous. It makes you want to go on such a beautiful, luxurious holiday yourself. Um, every, you know, the sun dazzles on the water, on the Dome of the Rock. Um, Istanbul has never looked more beautiful. And I really think if you can somehow make it to see this on the biggest, best screen you can, it will repay the effort. And I can't believe I'm saying that about a film that I would have thought is just set on a train carriage. But, you know, you really have to admire the production team that has tried to give it as beautiful and wider landscape as possible. So I really have to say that I very much enjoyed this film. It's a very worthy um, addition to the great panel P of Agatha Christie adaptations out there. The only slightly tiny bone I have to pick with it is that it does tease a, a Death on the Nile adaptation in the future, but it does so in a way that doesn't really make sense. Just the phrasing of the line. Give ugh, Anyway, the people who've read the books will know what I mean. But other than that, I can't really fault it. And I really encourage you to go out and watch Murder on the Orient Express on release for a couple of weeks. We'll definitely be in cinemas for a few weeks more. I definitely think you'll have a great time watching it. And so with that, let's move to the final film we're looking at this week, which is Paddington 2. Are you quite sure you're ready for the workplace, Paddington? It's
1: Phoenix Buchanan. Dad's celebrity Uh, client. I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. VIP celebrity. (laughs) Or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. (laughs) This pop-up book, where on earth did you find it? Mr. Gruber's antique shop. Hold it right there. But
0: I'm not the thief. Mysterious things have been happening all over town. We're rich again. I may look like a hardened criminal, but I'm innocent. We're going to need a foolproof plan. Paddington wouldn't hesitate if any of us needed help. He looks for the good in all of us. Oh. Okay so that was the trailer for Paddington 2 and rather than having me uh, review this film because partly I haven't seen it yet but also I'm probably not the target age group for it I've invited a friend along called Matthew who has seen it. So Matthew do you want to tell the listeners how old you are and give just a one-line first impression or maybe a star rating out of five?
1: Yeah sure so I'm Matthew and I'm 13. I thought the film was very funny and I really enjoyed it, and I would rate it four and a half stars out of five.
0: Okay, so why are you docking it that half star then, I have to ask?
1: <laughs> it's not the best film I've ever seen, but it's pretty up there. So
0: Fantastic. I've... And Matthew, I have to say, has previously reviewed a movie on my blog, being a 007 at dot .com, which was the Swallows and Amazons film. So how would you compare the two? Which one did you enjoy more?
1: Uh, I think they're very different films. Uh, I think Swallows and Amazons was more of a, I would say serious, but it wasn't that serious. But it's more of a a film about values, whereas this film, it, it does have overlying themes and values. It's more about humour and the experience that you get while watching it.
0: I think that's a really brilliant summary. Great, so now let's get into the detail of the movie. I haven't seen Paddington 2, but I did see Paddington 1 and really enjoyed it. How did you think the two compared? Do you think this is good, better, worse? I
1: think that Paddington was a great film, but the second film, the sequel, really did compare to it really well. I think that it uh, might even be better than the first film Gosh. because the humour in the film is brilliant.
0: And so can you describe a little bit of the plot without giving away too much for people who haven't seen it?
1: Okay, so in the plot, it starts with Paddington's great aunt. It's her 100th birthday and Paddington wants to buy her a present. So he goes to a shop and he sees his book, which he really wants, but it's very expensive. So he ends up trying to get a job to buy the book. And he meets somebody called Phoenix, who is played by Hugh Grant. Ah, and, so this uh, is
0: the baddie of the film, right?
1: Yes. And uh, so Phoenix wants to find the book to, because it acts as a treasure map. It leads him to some treasure. So he steals the book and, yeah, carries on from there.
0: OK, good. And are all the other sort of characters from the old one back? So the family is all in it and everyone else that we sort of got to know?
1: Yes, there are all the old actors are back again, but uh, there are lots of new people that have come in too. As I mentioned before, Hugh Grant being one of those. And uh, yeah, though they, they really added to the to the overall the, uh, theme of the film.
0: So how did you find Hugh Grant? I've often thought he's quite underrated, actually, as a comic actor. Did you ever see a film called The Pirates um, in an Adventure with Scientists?
1: I like, did. Yes.
0: Did you like that? Uh, I thought he was very good in that.
1: Yeah. That I I did enjoy that film. And I think in this film he really came out. It's a, I think the humor in the film portrayed by him is it's is really good. It, uh, it made me laugh a lot
0: fantastic well that's what i'm hearing from a lot of people so i can't wait to to go and see it myself and what do you think is it's a feel-good movie right what do you think are the sort of the messages in the film
1: there are a lot of emotions shown in the film so at the start you've got uh well you've got comedy all the way through but towards the end you've got sadness my mom started to cry um Aww. <laughs> yeah but she cries at frozen so
0: hey i cry at frozen frozen's gorgeous <laughs>
1: But um the themes it shows uh, it shows themes of friendship and uh, that shown towards the middle of the film through Brendan Gleason, who plays knuckles in the film, becomes Paddington's friend and we see him return later on into the film. So it shows that friends are something that you can't give up
0: sounds really lovely and positive um yeah really admirable does it feel like when you finish this film it's sort of setting itself up for a third one do you think that's going to be something that happens
1: yes it could be because it's a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the film kind of Oh. I can't re- I can't really give it away, but
0: <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll say no more in that case. but it sounds like you'd be up for seeing another one at any rate. yeah
1: it, the sequel sequels are normally not as good as the original film, but I think this one really it was at least as good as the original
0: yeah that's strong praise I think like there are so few films I think the original Star Wars Empire Strikes Back I always think of as better and a lot of people think Terminator 2 is better than the original but there's so few films Mm. where that's the case but yeah it sounds really good when you think about the movie from sort of behind the lens is what I like to call it so not about the actors and what you saw on screen but sort of how it was put together like what did you think of the animation or the music did any of that sort of the ingredients of the film stand out to you as really good yeah. So the animation was
1: brilliant. Um, it almost looked real until uh, I think on the last scene I could tell that it was animated, but it it was brilliant animation and the music really added to the emotions of the film. I said before how it conveys a lot of emotions, and the uh, the music really adds to that. I think.
0: Yeah, I really, the composer who did this film is called Dario Marinelli, and he does a lot of films that I really like, but Mm. he also, he he scored quite a few animated films, like I think he also did, let me just check on my notes he did the box trolls movie he did pan which was a mix and he did kubo and the two strings which is a gorgeous animated movie i'm not sure if you've seen that one and i think he really knows how to sort of set movie music to build emotion in in these big animated films so i'm glad to hear this one was good too
1: yeah the music really added to it and the animation i think was complemented by the music
0: perfect Anything else you'd like to say, or maybe um, sort of what sort of age group of kids do you think this would work for?
1: I think that the movie is probably aimed at ten-year-olds, but I think it, I think like um, ten to twelve-year-olds, maybe younger than that. But I think it works for all ages, really, because of the over overlying theme of uh, of comedy. I think that the jokes it has jokes and themes for all age groups yeah yes
0: yeah, so i'm seeing here that it's rated pg which is parental guidance so yeah. what does it say mild threat so yeah so not super super young kids who'd watch a u movie but anyone above that i guess yes um, cool did i miss anything is there anything else you you were really excited about that you want to talk about
1: i thought that the plot line was good it was similar to the original film in its plotline in that it revolves around a single bad guy, a burglar kind of thing, with some sign some type of connection with paddington i think the plot line was sim- similar to the original film
0: did you find um, that to be yes i mean you could argue it two ways that they figured out what works so they're going to do it again or do you think oh no it's just the same thing or was it sort of funny enough that you didn't really mind too much that it was a bit similar
1: yeah probably the third option there
0: <laughs> uh
1: i it it was uh very comedic
0: good well, i think this is because he i love hugh grant so i'm not surprised at all uh, well, I think that pretty much sums it up. It's a good it's good to have someone who's actually at the target audience age rather than an old forty year old trying to review mm. this film. So I'm really appreciative that you did that. So thank you very much for joining. No problem. Well, thank you to Matthew for that review. His mother wants to add that, having seen the film as well, she would caution about taking children under the age of about seven to it, just because there's a scene near the end that could be a little bit distressing. Obviously, you have to judge based on what your own child can take, but just that little word of caution on Paddington 2. So with that, I hope that you enjoy your cinema watching this weekend. I think that from the sounds of Matthew and from me, Murder on the Orient Express and Paddington 2 really are the picks of the bunch. And we'll speak to you next week principally about Justice League and a few other films as well. Thanks for listening.